Welcome to this extended version of the Orthodox Ethos Podcast. Today we will be presenting Lesson 2 from a three-part lecture series where we introduce the practice of the Jesus Prayer with reference to the teachings of St. Paisius the Athenite. Thank you for joining us and God bless you. Good evening, God bless. Welcome back to this introduction to the Jesus Prayer. We are in our second of three parts. We'll be looking tonight at first stages, the method and other questions and matters surrounding the prayer, other stages of prayer. So let's say the prayers. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Illumine our hearts, O Master, who lovest mankind with the pure light of the divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our mind to the understanding of the gospel teaching. Implant us also the fear of thy blessed commandments to travel out all kind of desires. We may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as are well-pleasing unto thee. For thou art the illumination of our souls and bodies, O Christ our God. Under thee we ascribe glory, together with thy Father, who is everlasting, holy, good, and life-creating spirit, but now and ever into ages of ages. Amen. Κατά πέμψας αυτής το πνεύμα το Άγιον και δι' αυτόν την οικουμένης αγινεύσας φιλάνθρωπε δόξασή. Αμήν. We talked about in the last lecture, the prerequisites, the presuppositions, there are always presuppositions and prerequisites for all the spiritual. That means our side of things, what we're bringing to the table and how much we're doing to make it possible because it has to be a synergy always. All, everything is a synergy, not that we are, uh, we're zeros, as you know, but uh, he's the one that gives value to all of our zeros, but we still have to have the zeros. We still have to have the effort. We still have to have the right stance. And that's a big part of what we do is to try to help you. We're all students of the fathers, students of the saints of our day. But we're, we're, our role is to kind of be the teacher and mystagogue to help you focus and listen and, and make progress in terms of the teaching and what we need to do on our end to make it work. So the first thing is that our whole stance has to be like that of the tax collector, we said. There has to be, I'm going to go very quickly through this because we, co we covered all this in the previous lecture. We have to have no enmity toward others. So if, these are all things you have to have if you're going to make progress generally in the spiritual life, but especially in the Jesus prayer. And you'll, if you read the lives and the, the writings of the contemporary saints, especially St. Saint Joseph the Hesychus, you'll hear him talk about these prerequisites, and especially he'll talk about obedience and humility as the two keys 
if you're going to make progress in the spiritual life in rather the Jesus prayer. So a lot of people think, well, I'm going to make, I'm going to just start saying the Jesus prayer. I'm going to take the prayer open my hand. I'm going to start saying, it, and that's all I need to do. Right. I don't need to really, no, no, no. It's a whole universe, the whole picture all together, both hand. And so these are prerequisites to make progress in the spiritual life. We have to attend, of course, to the spiritual life and to philanthropy, uh, giving, having a charitable heart. We have to fast with the church. We have to engage in Orthodox asceticism with discernment, the, that which we receive from our spiritual father in terms of ascetic struggles like prostrations or fasting or, 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 or prayer rule. Of course, we have to have faith, Orthodox faith and faith in divine providence, trust in God. And uh, we have to have a courageous spirit and a lot of patience and a lot of patience. Very quickly, just going through and enumerating some of the major things we, we talked about last time. Uh, the thing we talked about and, and focused on was, for instance, the quote from St. Gregory Palamas, where he says, the prayer is for all Christians. And unfortunately, in our day, we are living a kind of Barlamite existence here. And a lot of uh, people who are Orthodox but have not been properly trained are buying into this idea. We even hear this from some newly trained uh, seminarians who've just been ordained. I mean, apparently they're new priests and they're coming out of seminary and they're saying, no, 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 you don't need to do Jesus prayer. No, 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 you don't, it's not for you. You don't need a spiritual father. It's not for you. I mean, this is kind of a Barlamite. Uh, Bar when we say Barlam, we're talking about the opponent the uh, the uh, from Italy who came over to Constantinople and opposed St. Gregory Palamas and taught that it's not possible to see the uncreated light. Jesus prayer is not, and the whole process of saying Jesus prayer is, is nonsensical. And what we need to do is ascend in our rational intellect and acquire knowledge about God. And that's how you save your soul with good works and knowledge about God and things and other th such things. So this, this is a heretical stance an idea uh, that you don't need to, uh, that there's two paths, for instance, this idea, oh, you, you're, you're not a monastic. That's not for you. Uh, there's no, there's nothing in the church that's only for a certain portion of the church, you know, in terms of salvation, right? We're all called the narrow path of salvation. There's not a double road. There's not two roads leading to different saviors. Uh, it is all uh, the gospel, the one path set out by our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the way, the where we live, how we live with or without a sizigos, uh, a yoke mate, uh, is does not change that. It's just a different context, and and we have maybe quantities and characteristics are different, but the essential path is the same. Now, the other thing that we have to uh, drive home is that it is impossible to uh, dissociate the life of prayer from from a uh, life of obedience in the church, which means a spiritual father. It was very interesting that the same priest who told this one of our patrons, you don't need to say that Jesus prayer also said you don't need a spiritual father, which was just mind boggling. So that but that's not surprising because we would say the exact opposite. You need a spiritual father and the Jesus prayer. And ideally, the spiritual father is the one who's guiding you on the path of the, spirit, of the, of the Jesus prayer. Of course, that's not always possible, but that would be the ideal. So you cannot just say, I'm going to go do the Jesus prayer. Bye bye. I'm on my own. That's a path probably. If you make, if you do it a lot and you increase the quantity, it's a path of delusion. 
one of the first fruits of the prayer is, is most assuredly finding an spiritual, an experience rather proper and discerning spiritual fathers. One of the most basic things we do in the spiritual life. I remember when I was visiting with Bishop Basil of Wichita 30 years ago. Well, no, no, no. It would have been, let's see, 95. So 28 years ago. And I was spirit, searching for a spiritual father. And I said, what do I do? And he says, you do what you have to do to find one. It'll come. You'll understand it. It'll take time. It took me a couple of years more and about three more years. And so it was, it was he didn't say, ah, you don't need a spiritual father. No, he didn't say that. Unbelievably, some priest in the Antiochian Archdiocese are saying that today. I don't know where they get their, their ideas. So when we find our spiritual father, the, and it's very clear that when we find, we, we search hard and long and we make sure and God, we pray fervently for God to reveal that spiritual father. It could be somebody in our day and age where we have an influx of a lot of converts, but not necessarily a, a, a sharp influx of spiritual guides. And so what happens is we have a lot of people searching for spiritual fathers, but not a lot of spiritual fathers who are there are able to take care of them. And a lot of times you have to have a spiritual father far from you. So that means that you may not have the luxury of seeing him often, but you can write him, call him, whatever it is, whatever you need to have a trusted spiritual father, you're going to have to do obedience. Very, very basic. Now in our day and age is this whole question of obedience is anathema. Right? Because we're Americans. We don't do obedience, right? We're, we're revolutionaries. The whole spirit is individualism, Protestantism. It's all, it's very hard. We don't have trust. It's hard for us to trust. We don't find trustworthy spiritual fathers. And also, we are, are raised to not trust authority. Well, spiritual authority of God in the church has to be. We have to find that and trust it. There's, there's, there's no way around it. And that's, of course, the, the enemy of our salvation is going to war against that. So it's going to take time and lots of prayer and, and humility. Uh, but when we have a spiritual father and we're struggling to do obedience to him, it must be observed with the proper conscience in order for it to be a God-pleasing and fruit-bearing. I'm reading now from Archimandrite Arsenios. Given that praying is one, praying is one of the mo of the commandments. Right? It's not like if I pray; it's when you pray. It must not be isolated. If it is isolated in abstention of the other commandments, not only will it not bring forth spiritual fruits, but it will quite often bring all sorts of side effects, both spiritual as well as psychological ones. All right. So prayer presupposes. The other uh, virtues, one of them, which, of course, is obedience. Therefore, in this sense, we outrightly declare that it is inconceivable for the prayer to lack the spirit of obedience. That is, without any obedience to the commandments of our holy church. So you want to grow in prayer, grow, struggle to be obedient to Christ in the saints and in the spiritual father and in the bishop and the priest given that they're Orthodox and they're following the Holy Fathers, and you will make progress very quickly. And you'll read that very clearly and many times stressed in the writings of St. Joseph the Hesychist that that's the most important of all for the monastic who wants to make progress in the prayer. Listen now to St. Uh, Abba Avadorothios, one of the great ascetics of the 
5th century in Palestine. He says, how is the edifice of the soul constructed? We can be taught exactly how it is done by adhering, by observing rather, the construction of a visible house. He who wants to build a material house must first secure it in all sides and raise the edifice at the same time. That is all of its four sides and not attend to the one wall while neglecting the others because that way he gains nothing. You can't build a house, one wall, and then leave it open and the roof open. That's not a house. He merely goes into futile and dangerous pains puts a whole lot of, uh, plus a whole lot of expenses. Well, the same thing occurs with the soul. Man must absolutely not neglect any aspect of his spiritual edifice. He must raise it symmetrically. So we're going to be looking at all the virtues, all the aspects, never out of this context. Prayer can't be taken out of that context. And some might say, well, I've heard it said that you should work like on, you know, one virtue at a time and just focus on one virtue at a time. Well, you can focus on one virtue maybe greater than the others, but never to the detriment. Like it doesn't matter that you're struggling for the other ones. It's just that you're going to work more busy. You might have a particular temptation, a particular person. You might have a particular passion that you're extremely uh, weak toward, like your anger. You might be become very angry. Then you're going to focus on that and you're going to do what you have to do to make progress in that. That makes sense. But you're not going to neglect the others as if it's not necessary and you're going to uh, – Go ahead and just uh, be lax in all other ways. Listen to what uh, St. John Kolovos says. I want man to attain a little of each virtue and not do what some others do who struggle for only one virtue and persist in that one indiscriminately, laboring only for that one, for that one while neglecting the other virtues. It could be that they may even have a certain preference for that one virtue, which is why they aren't disturbed by the passion that is opposed to that virtue. Thus, they are fooled and burdened by the other passions and are suffocated by them, and unfortunately, are not in the least concerned about that. They are instead under the illusion, the impression that they are supposedly making a huge spiritual advancement, achievement. They unfortunately resemble the one who builds a wall, again, the same imagery used by another saint, and raise it as much as he can, focusing all his attention, his labors to these, to the raising of that one wall, with the impression that he has achieved something grand by gazing solely at the immense height of that wall. But he doesn't realize that if a strong wind were to come along or an earthquake, even a mild earthquake, it will bring down that wall because, Regrettably, that wall is standing all alone without any connection and unity with the other walls. So it will come down very easily. And furthermore, he cannot even prepare a roof for himself upon a single wall because he would remain exposed on all other sides. Therefore, that is not how it should be done. But rather, he who wishes to build his house properly, his spiritual house, and make for himself a proper roof must raise the edifice on all sides and secure it from every danger. So it's a beautiful imagery. I think that'll help us put that down. Remember that imagery. I'm building a house, the house of the virtues. And I've got all kinds of virtues that go into this, all kinds of aspects of this house, different walls, different materials that make up this house of virtue. And so I've got to be attentive to all of them. And I'm going to actually build a house. And if anybody's built a house and we have had that 
joy and suffering that is building a house in Greece. We spent two years designing, laying the foundation, raising the walls, putting this roof on, building all the internal plumbing, electricity. We went through it all. It was very instructive and very edifying, although he didn't do much else for about two years. Uh, it was a very, very laborious but joyful struggle, and it was beautiful creating that house. And, you know, from the scratch, from the design all the way to the to the a lot of what we did, we did ourselves. So that was a wonderful. And anybody who's done that can attest uh, how what a beautiful image this is for the spiritual life. If you have a little bit of experience in spiritual life, you understand as well. So if I, for instance, if I am engaged in the Jesus prayer for two hours every night, but then all throughout the day, I'm screaming and yelling because I am I'm a slave to anger. Even if I just once, even if I just scream once, you can feel immediately if you have any sense that the consolation of the grace of God leaves you with that one uh, enslavement to that one passion. So you cannot be negligent. It, it would be the same as if I if I neglected to put walls. Uh, to put a, a you know a, a windows on one half of the wall, uh, house of the one half of the house like you know the southern exposure uh, that would be uh, ultimately very detrimental to the house we would probably probably be destroyed over time with all the things that would come through those windows. sorry you got the image it's a beautiful image and hopefully uh, helpful I'm just making sure that we're doing good on the technical end all right getting back to the text. So prayer will not stand on its own without obedience, and not only without obedience, but also without the implementation of all the other virtues, without exception, as we just said. Very, very important. Now, the spirit of obedience must be exercised in a manner that will be acceptable to God. Our motives before God must be absolutely spiritual, absolutely pure. So one of the one of these things people say in America, well, there's, you know, you can't do obedience because there's no real elders, no real spiritual fathers in and, you know, the whole spirit is tweaked. It's all bizarre. And, uh, and, there, and of course, there are, experience, there are examples of that, I'm, I have no doubt. But we're going to search and find those who uh, are not in that uh, distorted understanding of obedience. Uh, and uh, we're going to have to learn what it is, the signs of a truly uh, humble disciple of our Lord, who is always, always, always going to respect the freedom of the spiritual child. Very important, very basic. One of the things people don't understand. The spiritual father is not there to be a puppet master. He puts the person in front of the spiritual struggle. He encourages them, prays for them, points them in the right direction. When they get off, he points them back. Uh, when they come for consolation, he consoles. Uh, but he's constantly putting the rider back on the horse. And if they want to go back on the horse, but they, but they, the spiritual father doesn't do doesn't make the spiritual life for them, right? He's a coach, he's a guide, he's a mystagogue. He sits there, and so the obedience is always, always to Christ and through the spiritual father. So if the minute I cease to be a disciple of Christ, if I was, let's say, I'm your spiritual father, you come to me. The minute I cease to be a spiritual disciple of Christ because of apostasy or I fall from the priesthood for whatever reason, then all obedience stops because the, 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 the link is no longer there. 
And so being obedient to me as a spiritual father does not mean you're obedient to Christ. And the, we're all, all of us, from the patriarch down to the last grandmother, is we are collectively obedient and submitting ourselves to Christ. The, the, the spiritual guide is not the end, right? He's a means to that obedience. So the minute, again, we fall into heresy, delusion, or whatever, we then there is no requirement of obedience anymore. If we've departed from the will of God and the Holy Fathers. Now, there's a variety of questions that... Uh, that were, were asked of, of Father Arsenios, which I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm choosing the ones I think are most applicable to our situation. So I'm cutting, hopefully, to the to the chase, as it were, to the things that you need to hear uh, uh, first and foremost. Uh, so one of the questions that came up, which I think is good for us to hear the answer to, and we've actually talked about this before, so that's kind of, kind of encouraging for me that, Father Arsenius and I are on the same page on, these, on, on pretty much everything, which is really wonderful. And he says, um, uh, in our day, the people come and they say, well, you know, what about uh, these, these you know, no enmity in the relations with other people? How do we do this? So that's what a lot of people are concerned about, especially in Greece, it seems more and more. But all of us see that. What do I do with my parents? What do I do with my brother and sister? How do I do this? How do I do that? So, well, one of the things is the fast. What do we do with the fast? He says, well, you don't break your fast for the sake of those who don't understand, don't keep the fast. We've talked about this a lot here, the difference between the fast, the personal fast, and the fast which is out of obedience. And the ones that are called upon justifying people's breaking their fast, like you're, you know, you're in a parish and everybody's in the parish. I was told by someone close to me that in there's a, you know, the parish they used to, they were in a couple of years ago, they were going there and they were saying, well, you know, uh, um, you're gonna when you, when you go to so and so's house, don't worry about it. Eat whatever they put there. Just eat whatever. It's Wednesday. Doesn't matter. They might be other Orthodox Christians, and um, yeah, that's uh, that's what we do. We don't uh, we don't go. You know, it's it's Pharisaical to say I'm fasting and da da da. Uh, so uh, Father Isaiah says we're 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 quite to the other extreme of the day of our Lord, where there's a Pharisaism where people wanted to be seen as fasting. We're on the other extreme. It's like immediately do away with the fast for the sake of a man. And, and so our obedience to God just goes to the weight by the wayside. And so Father Arsenio says, no, no, we shouldn't break our fast because if we do, it's like denying the very thing that we believe in. So, and it becomes a matter of confession of faith. He's saying, uh, so contrary to this popular idea uh, Elder Arsenius is saying, no, you don't break the fast when you go on Wednesdays and Fridays to your friends. Now, if you have a personal fast on a Monday, let's say, you're not a monk, monks fast on Monday, or let's say you fast from meat or you fast from dairy on, I don't know, whatever you say, but it's a, it's not the church's command. We fast, you know, collectively, we all fast on Wednesday, Friday, and you are, uh, somebody comes and visits you. Uh, and it, and you say, no, I can't. I'm sorry. I you know I can't because I'm fasting. Well, that's pharisaical. That's fair. that's that's delusional. Like put aside for your brother and be hospitable. That that's true because you don't. That personal fast is not more important than your brother. Now, if you if you can serve your brother and not break the fast and be hospitable, do it. 
Like you don't have to break it, but if it comes between you and your brother, then then it's not more than important than your brother. You see the difference there? It's not an issue of obedience to God at that point because you're 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 fasting more. A lot of people don't do that, so they don't really understand that that's the context of the desert fathers. It's the personal fast above and beyond what is we're all considered uh, expected to be obedient to in terms of the fast. All right, so we've talked about that in the past. I'm not going to keep going on about it. But they're, they're important because, again, they're prerequisites and they have repercussions on prayer. So another question is, well, what do I do if I'm not, I don't have the mood? I'm tired. I come home, blah, blah, blah. Right? We all have that. There's nobody, not even the greatest ascetics who don't have the temptation, don't have the inclination. Well, maybe some very, very progressed people are beyond all that. But vast majority of us were weighed down by the way of life that we have and all the rest. And, and so if I'm not in the mood, should I pray? Is it going to be a God-pleasing prayer? And, of course, the answer is absolutely. You should force yourself to pray. It is a mistake to believe that we should pray only when we're in the mood for it and with that, and with the corresponding spiritual disposition. There's a saying in Greek. I don't know if it's a saying in English as well, but with eating also comes the appetite. You heard that expression? With eating also comes the appetite. So you want to increase the appetite? Sit down at the dinner table, and you'll have an, a better appetite very quickly. So in spiritual matters, the same thing applies. Often, quite often, one may begin praying with zeal. Then for one reason or another, he begins to lose the zeal. And so that's very common. So what are you going to do? Are you Are going to just like give up? Or are you going to struggle? You're going to struggle. The opposite is also true, though, that you might uh, force yourself to pray, even though you don't have the zeal for it. And all of a sudden, God will send grace and you'll have zeal will come and you'll be inspired. And it'll change from a forcing yourself to a very easy and beautiful and, and prayerful uh, uh, moment of prayer or, or time of prayer. Uh, so the, the most important thing is to have a good disposition, to have a good stance, and then grace will visit you. So you can always have a good disposition. You can always force yourself and increase the, and, uh, you know, and align yourself properly, let's say, to what you should be doing. There's, not, there's nothing forcing us into a bad disposition. We we choose that. So as we can reorient ourselves, force ourselves. This is a, the kingdom of heaven is taken by violence and the violent take it by force, the Lord says. This is a this is applied right here to prayer when you don't feel like it. So you force yourself. How many times do you if you say compline every night, there's many times when you come home late and or you're you know you're you're half asleep and what do you do? You got you got to make the choice. We're going to do the compline. We're going to stand at the prayer corner, or we're going to just fall asleep. Do as much as you can. Do the Jesus prayer all together, but don't simply just act like it doesn't matter. I don't need to force myself, right? Absolutely, the fasting. Sunshine's asking, "What about fasting from the from the lips, from the speaking?" Uh, fasting is not just or even primarily about the food. The food is the uh, for me, how you say the occasion for a, a general fast, a fast across the board from sin and also 
one of those one of the forms of sin is idle talk. And most of what a lot of what we do when we get together with other people is talk idly. It is characteristic of true Christians when they sit get together with other Christians, they talk about Christ. They talk about the spiritual life, they talk about truth, they talk about the struggle, they talk about confession of faith, they talk about all these things surrounding their life in Christ. That's what that's what Christians do when they get together. Unfortunately, there are a lot of us who get together and we don't talk about Christ. We talk about whatever. Talk about the new car we're going to buy or the sports game and all that. That's not a good sign for us. Like we're not focused on the things of heaven. Now, what do you do? Repent. Reorient. Go deeper. That's the answer again and again. So, But let's have self-knowledge. And so, yes, absolutely. Keep the mouth shut. Speak with wisdom. Speak with thoughtfulness. Even if the other person's provoking you, the other person's going on, doesn't matter. You don't have to speak. And that's a very good fast and very good for the prayer. Very good for the prayer if we keep our mouths shut. And many, you'll find many a monk, in a, in good monks in monasteries, don't say anything they don't have to say. You don't sit around and just blabble, babble on. No, no, no. So he who prays properly will sooner or later experience moments of inexpressible joy. If you are observing the things we're talking about and all of the writings of the Father, you're struggling to apply the writings of the Father's, the commandments, all this, you will eventually come to an inexpressible joy as the fruit of that violence and of that, that zeal for prayer. Uh, and, and this can be seen as a consolation sent by God. God sends this in order for you to double and triple down on the struggle. He, he gives us added courage when we struggle as a fruit of prayer. And there is a incremental increase of our initial faith in, in, in our knowledge of God. These are all fruits of a prayer life. But it is also true that in spite of our struggle, uh, it must be perceived as a product of God's grace because God is not bound by our toils and our disposition for uh, perseverance. In other words, everything that's given is God's gift and not something we earn. That's what he wants to say here, right? So grace is exactly a gift, right? Haris, harizika in, in modern Greek at least, is, is, to, is to give somebody something. So grace is clearly a gift and uh, it's not, we don't go in search of these gifts. We go in search of love, out of love for Christ, right? We don't seek charismata. Those are freely given by God as he so chooses, and he only gives it unto salvation to those who are humble and don't, don't they're not seeking that. They're seeking Christ. Christ all in all, Christ and loving Christ, right? So uh, in that light, it, there's many who are zealous without knowledge and they want to, do the big numbers. They want to achieve big numbers, quick product, uh, quick uh, fruits, right? Qu quickly have, I want to immediately start praying. I'm going to have like, you know, noetic prayer. And, and, and that kind of, that kind of uh, progress, if it is given by God, or if it's it, oftentimes delusional, is like a, a, a plant that is quickly takes root and grows, but it doesn't have deep roots. And so, therefore, it's not going to be ultimately 
super uh, beneficial. It's preferable to pray deeply with your heart and say fewer prayers, do less praying, but with your heart than to pray uh, many Jesus prayers without your heart, right? We need to assimilate the words. We need to uh, slowly uh, put them into our mind and heart and not just throw them down, right? Like one big gulp. But little by little, we, we, we assimilate, we digest the prayer. We need to grasp the meaning of the prayer. This is one of the things that Elder Joseph St. Paisios talks about a lot, the sense of the prayer, the words, the meaning. We need to feel the prayer, not just turn out the prayer, right? It's the difference between uh, you know, praying quickly and praying with the full heart. Now listen to Elder Ephraim as he prays. <laughs> There's also uh, online you can find Saint Pi Saint Porfirios, Saint El Ephraim of Katonakia, uh, Saint. Uh, there's one more that you can find online that they've recorded saying the prayer. I highly recommend you do that. Search Elder Ephraim of Katonakia saying the prayer. Elder Ephraim of uh, Arizona or Philotheo saying the prayer. Elder uh, Saint Por Porfirios. I don't know if Saint Yakovos, I don't think he was recorded, but maybe. So find the great saints of our day who are saying the prayer in whatever language, Russian, whatever it is, if there's Romanians, and listen to how they pray and 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 get a sense of their stance. All right. And 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 they're going deeply, they're looking to go deep in the prayer and not just to repeat the words. So there's this other question that comes up in terms of the relationship between the human and the divine elements. And see Paisius, yes. <clears throat> there's a, there's a, a lot of confusion, I think, in, in the among Christians when they things happen or things that are the fruit of their own actions, and then they they say, "Well, it's God allowed that, or God willed that," and they kind of want to discount the human element in this whole struggle, right? That we're bringing a lot to the table and that's how God wants it. He wants our participation. It's essential if the whole man is going to be redeemed, purified, and healed. So many times we say, oh, it was the will of God, but we really it was anything but the will of God. It's the fruit of our own uh, sinfulness. So the divine element intervenes Elder Afshenio says, only when the human factor has previously or wholly exhausted itself with the appropriate prerequisites and proper and proper conscience, of course. So you can see this in the New Testament. For instance, in the, with Jairios uh, or Jaros, I don't know how you, Iaros is the Greek, I don't know how you say it in English. The daughter who Christ immediately, you know, after resurrecting the daughter in the scriptures, he immediately gave her food to eat. And so one might say, well, why didn't he just make it so she wasn't hungry? Why didn't he just, uh, I don't know, miraculously give her food or something? He wanted the participation of the human community, the people, the family. He wanted that. Whatever, whatever was not necessary for God to do, he wants men to do it, right? There's a famous, not a famous, but something that 
stuck in my mind since I heard, when I heard it. I think it's applicable across the board. People come to Elder Emilianos and said, you've heard this probably if you've listened to me long enough. Elder Emilianos, this monk said, why don't we have the divine consolation we read about in the scriptures or in the lives of the saints? Why don't we have those, those, uh, those events? And Elder Emilianos says, you know, you're looking for divine consolation, but you have human consolation. You don't have divine consolation, like the ones in the desert who have no one, right? And God comes and brings them, like Elder St. Paisius, he was in Sinai, and a bird came and flopped a, a fish down in front of him after he prayed and asked the mother of God to help him on a feast day, nothing to celebrate the feast with. You know, these kind of miraculous interventions, they come when there's no human consolation. Divine consolation comes when there's no human consolation. God wants the human participation. It's a part of the whole glor uh, purification and illumination of the human person. It's a part of his salvation. So there's a clear distinction there, but both uh, have, a, have their role to play. So, or, or, for, or for instance, when they were in the Sinai Desert, he was raining down upon them the manna from heaven, but when they went into the promised land, that stopped immediately. So when they had need, when it was called upon, and they were in, they were obedient, he sent down the manna from heaven. Then they had to take care of themselves in the promised land. So there's a synergy, synergia. It's very basic collaboration between human and divine factors, and it's imperative, and it's missing from a lot of soteriologies in the West. Calvinism doesn't have that. In effect, none of them have it because they don't accept and understand theosis. By the way, uh, if you're interested in a very interesting discussion, I think it's a it's a it's not too hard, but not not just introductory. We had an interview we did just a few days ago with Father Filippi. You know, Father Filippi from the from the uh, uh, Philippines who spoke at our conference last year, and we had an interview. We talked about theosis, and in there we talked about the various heretical soteriologies and the fact that when when you see the heterodox not understanding and not speaking about theosis this is a confirmation that they've fallen away from the life of the church and this unfortunately you can see across the board including among the monophysites for instance pope shenouda of the coptic uh, uh confession he uh, of course is reposed now but he denied uh, the patristic basis for theosis. He pretty much said, no, it's not really what the fathers are talking about. They don't talk about theosis. Uh, so we went through that. And of course, Catholicism talks about created grace, which there is no such thing as created grace. Grace is God himself. And without uncreated grace, the only kind of grace there is, there will be no theosis. So wherever you see the departure from this synergy, this going from the image to the likeness, and that means theosis, uncreated grace dwelling in man then man then that's a confirmation of the heresy it's a confirmation of the departure from uh the orthodox faith and the orthodox church so it's very important uh that we um, uh, struggle and we bring and we properly understand the human element in this whole uh equation uh many people uh, also, let's see if I want to get it. I'm going to leave that. Let's go further on to something else. Very interesting here. One of the questions was given to Father was, the fathers lived in the desert and achieved things that they that they achieved. How can we, who are lay people in the world, achieve that? How can we manage? So another question that's very, I think, very prevalent for us. How are we the worst and last of the Christians in this 
land of apostasy called America, how can we make progress? How can we be like them? They've, they're so far ahead of us. And I like this answer from Father Arsenio. It's a very good answer. He says, look, imitate them in as far as you can. How can you imitate them? And he gives some examples. First of all, that means you're reading the lives of the saints, right? you got to be reading the lives of the saints. Otherwise, you're not going to imitate them at all. It's for sure. You're not going to imitate them. So you got to be reading the lives of the saints. you got to be looking how to live according to their examples. So they lived in the desert. Well, you can't go live in the desert unless you're, I mean, one of those rare, rare people today. You can go actually imitate them. It's not going to happen. For most of us, we're in houses. Even if we're in desert, like down here in Arizona, we've got everything we need. Uh, like contemporary Americans. So what can we do? Well, we can take a certain time of the day and a certain corner of the house somewhere, and we can go and create for ourselves our own little desert, right? That means place of esikia, place of stillness. We can go there and we can practice our ascetic struggle, our prayer. Daniel, thank you for reminding me. Uh, and everybody who's not looking at the chat, the interview I just talked about with Father Joseph, Father Filippi is available to everyone on Orthodox Ethos who have who has purchased the new book that just came out. Of course, I think you should all know that we're just launching as of yesterday, The Life and Witness of Elder Saint Yakovos of Evia, just published and out and in circulation. You can purchase that now at Uncommon Press. And there's a whole bunch of perks that come with that, a whole bunch of bonus stuff. So you get a link and you go to our Orthodox Jesus website and there's a particular page. And one of those things is the interview we did with Father Filippi, but there's also several other things. There's a couple articles by Bishop of Alaska, Alexis. There's an article from by my that I wrote on going deeper in the spiritual life. We're going to have a question and answer session coming up soon uh, on the book. So if you buy the book, then you can join us for the question and answer session. That'll be coming up. And the um, there will also be, uh, there's also access to a docu-film all about last year's conference. So if you haven't seen the image, the videos from the conference, you haven't heard about that, this is a beautiful synopsis and beautifully done by our brother in Christ, Caesar. Uh, and that is available all right now on Orthodox Ethos uh, for all those who purchased the book uh, on Uncommon Press. All right, so enough of that advertisement. I think most of you know that anyway, if you're paying attention on social media. Uh, all right. And Daniel or Justin, if you're here, you can answer the questions. I got to keep lecturing. All right. So getting back. So you, you create a little part of your house and a little time of your day. And you do whatever you can to the degree and you imitate what they did. And they had quiet and they had prayer, stillness, and they were doing their ascetic struggle. Or you can likewise spend a certain amount of time limiting your social engagement and spending more time in prayer and stillness. Uh, you can also limit certain other things that you're doing that are not spiritually beneficial. Instead of spending your time in things that are just kind of vain, uh, cut them out and spend your time doing spiritual exercises, spiritual, uh, spiritually profitable reading or prayer or, or, or the like. So there's ways to imitate the saints no matter where or how you are. And that's also going to be 
big part of why you're going to make progress with the prayer. So, yes, God has other demands for us, which are not in the monastery, in terms of the practical aspects of living out the one gospel. Uh, he provides us also with opportunities for catharsis, that's purification, and illumination or sanctification. Uh, because the temptations and the unforeseen things of the day that come to us are our opportunity. It gives us many opportunities. You don't have to go searching very far to put into practice the gospel and to be purified and to be illumined. All throughout the day, we have such things. And we usually are ignorant of them, not paying attention because we're ruled by the passions and we fall into them. And then we complain. God doesn't do this. God doesn't do that. Well, what, do we, what is that? How does that work exactly? You're the one who chose not to pray, not to uh, go deeper, or you're choosing now to complain that you were given medicine that's going to heal you. Don't complain, but thank God for the temptation to see you, you can, that you just saw yourself. That's very important in the spiritual life. You just saw how weak you are, how slothful you are, how lazy you are. Gl give glory to God that you can see. And then repent and say, I'll do better next time. And keep going. When the insults come, the ungratefulness, the scorn, the calumnies, the ugly images, the sights. All right? So there's it's, a, it's something we don't want, but it comes anyway. Well, it's a tremendous opportunity for us. Spiritual ascent and spiritual victory uh, can be achieved through all of those temptations. Um St. Paisius has the following story, which is very instructive there. He was praying fervently that God would humble him. So he should, when we do that, we should prepare to be humbled. We're asking God to humble us. We're going to get humbled. And that's a good thing. We should rejoice. There was somebody I knew who was praying continually, uh, humble me exceedingly. Humble me exceedingly, Lord. I want the extreme humility that you had. You know, give me that, 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 that deep humility that is the basis of the spiritual life. And he's getting humble left and right. Glory to God. Well, the next time that the blessed elder went to receive Holy Communion, the elder Paisus was praying for humility. He went to receive Holy Communion at the church in Konitsa per the customary rubric. The moment he, being a monk, entered the sanctuary, the altar to participate in the divine liturgy like he always did well that one time the priest who had officiated every other time told the elder entirely unexpectedly entirely unexpectedly abruptly and suddenly and for no apparent reason leave the altar area now and put and go sit among the laymen outside so naturally elder paisios First became humanly upset and astounded, but he immediately remembered how long he had been beseeching God to humble him. So he thought to himself, well, here it is. Here's my opportunity. It has presented itself. Should I go and let it, let it go to waste? And he went out and sat with the layman, and he glorified God that the spiritual opportunity which he had sent him. So that is a great example, brothers and sisters. We pray for humility, we get humbled, and we rejoice at it. And we make progress spiritually when we rejoice. If we are upset, and why me? And why does God do this? And why does God do that? Well, there goes, why are we praying for it? We're not going to make progress. All right, let's go now beyond the questions. I skipped a bunch of questions because 
I want to get back to the topic. And this is the first stage of the prayer. Let's talk about the first stage, which probably most of us are still at this first stage, uh, if not all of us. And to practice saying the Jesus prayer in a, with a whisper. Elder Arsenio says, we're going to say the prayer with a whisper. So people ask, well, what does that mean? I mean, it doesn't have to be a whisper, but he says if you're alone or whatever, you're not in the middle of all kinds of people, you can say it out loud and you can, you can say it strongly. I remember what in the uh, 70s and 80s, Philotheo Monastery in Manathos was well known uh, for the monks, uh, not only saying it with a whisper, but saying it very strongly. So you walk into the courtyard of the monastery and you, hear, you would hear, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, right? In Greek, of course. You, you would hear it all over the monastery. And the elder of had told the fathers, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, say it loud, say it strong, whatever it takes to, to get the mind fixed on the Jesus prayer. So elder of Samuel says, we're going to whisper the prayer. We're not going to say it just immediately in our mind, right? We're not going to try to go right to the mind. But we're going to actually say what the, we're not going to, just don't scream, whisper it. So Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy. Lord Jesus Christ. Just a little bit of whisper. It could be even less. It could be much less. I'm just doing it so you can hear it. But the point is that the, you are using the mouth and the tongue. So that's going to help you concentrate. You have it in your mind, but you have it there as well. So when the mind goes, you can hear it still. So it brings it back. It's going to be much better for that to happen. The Lord is pleased when all of our things are done in in private, right? So we're we're not showing off the Jesus prayer. That's not that's not what should what should be happening. We're not showing off the Jesus prayer, so that could be a source of pride. Uh, there was, I think, we talked about this. I can't remember who I talking to, was talking to, but we talked about this. Um, somebody went to Saint Arsenio said and and asked, "What's the greatest virtue?" Did we talk about this last week? What's the greatest virtue? And he said, "That which is done in secret." All right, so. Very important because that's going to bring humility. It's not going to bring pride. You're not going to be, if you're done in secret, he says, do it, shut the door. He says, go in secret and the father in heaven will reward you in secret. So very important. We don't want to call attention to ourselves. But if, if we're alone, we can do it like a whisper. And if we're among people and want to keep saying the prayer, we can still do it a little bit with the tongue and shut your mouth and you can do it inside with the tongue. You want that as a beginner. You want to have some physical accompaniment. That's why... Why do you think that the fathers and the saints and the elders do the Jesus prayer with the prayer rope? Why do they do? The, they always use the prayer rope, right? All the time, even in church, even on the street, whatever. They're going to have a little 33 one, or they might have a really big one like this one here. Let's see if I can show you that. Um, all right, got a big ones like this. This is a 300 knot one, right? And so there's different kinds of prayer rolls depending on what kind of prayer you're doing. But you're using that because that's going to help you concentrate. You've got your tongue going because it's going to help you concentrate. And if you're among people and you don't want to show off and you want to make sure you're hiding, your, hiding your, your, your struggle, then you say it with the mouth essentially closed, but the lips or the tongue is still moving, and that's going to help uh, focus. Ryan is asking, what if the whispering is more breath and air than voice? That's fine. Yeah, it, it, you shouldn't focus on that at all, but that's fine. So I don't think I'm going to dwell on that because that's pretty straightforward, right? The Lord says, for instance, in the gospel, don't let the left hand know what your right hand is doing. You know, so it's pretty obvious. We're not going to call attention to ourselves. And then uh, let's say that you can't even say the prayer. For whatever reason, you can't say the whole prayer. Then just say, Jesus, 
say mercy, say Lord have mercy, Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ. You can say anything of the prayer. All of it has power. The name of Jesus has power, and it brings about a great amount of fruit. So that's the that's the the the, the, the bringing of the noose into the heart, bringing of the mind, uh, focusing the mind on the prayer. This is the whole struggle. Uh, we must, he says, recite the prayer both when we are not distracted by anything and also during other activities. In other words, there is no unsuitable moment for reciting the prayer. I'm going to repeat that a few times. I want everybody to drive this home. There's no time whatsoever that you can't say the prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Or Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Uh, the, the preferred uh, version, by the way, of the prayer by most elders today, at least Elder Ephraim, Elder Joseph, and the, uh, all of the, the, the ascetics that I know on Athos is the shorter version. Although I've heard Elder Parthenius use the semi-long version without sinner at the end, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. In any case, the focus is to concentrate. And so they choose the shorter one, many of them, so they can concentrate even better. So there's no time that you can't pray. No one has an excuse. There's no one here tonight to say, I can't pray. There's no time in my day. It's impossible. No, 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 no. If you actually examine yourself, examine your day, every one of us has time to pray. We just need to cut some vain, empty thing out or use a time that's a downtime or when we're making, you know, doing the dishes or whatever. Beyond the prayer rule in the morning, we're talking about throughout the day, we have all kinds of opportunities to say the prayer. And there are many things we're doing that are just vain, right? They're not profitable, and we can cut them out and spend time on prayer if we want, if we want. Even if it create, even, uh, let me see, I'll read the whole sentence. Only then will we become aware that we can always find some time, some some, some spare time, right? When we observe ourselves throughout the day, we'll say, oh, I can, I can spend. And the time that we can dedicate to prayer is not only time not wasted, not even to the detriment of the everyday essentials of living. Instead, it even creates a state of solemnity and alertness, right? Solemnity, a, a certain... <clears throat> a certain seriousness and holiness, and also a watchfulness and a mindfulness. That's what the prayer brings when you're constantly struggling to say the prayer. And this, uh, which makes us more efficient in our daily chores. So people say, well, I can't actually do the work and say the Jesus prayer. No, wrong. That's actually not true. You can do both. You can do the Jesus prayer and you can do your work if you're talking about most work, right? I mean, if you're intellectual work, and you're talking to people constantly, that might obviously be a different story. But if you're doing the work throughout the day, like cleaning the house or, or building a house or whatever it is, most work that we do, physical labor, that's not at all an obstacle for the prayer. Now, if you make progress, lots of progress, you can actually say the prayer. I mean, the prayer comes into the heart and is prayed even when you're intellectually active, even when your brain is working over time, the heart can still be saying the prayer, but that's for much, much more advanced uh, and, uh, uh, strugglers. And by repeating the prayer, we also avoid many traps, many unforeseen things, which if not handled properly with spiritual alertness and illumination through the prayer, we will be wasting far more time tackling them in a different way 
later on. So, so when you have a watchfulness, alertness, and you're saying the prayer, what happens is you get ahead of problems. You God illumines you what to say and do. You don't fall into traps. You don't get into arguments. You don't start judging. You don't start losing your peace. You don't start screaming and yelling. All these things are avoided. And so actually you gain time because you don't end up getting sucked into things that are just vain and worthless. So you're actually going to you're going to gain time, you're going to avoid problems, you're going to avoid pitfalls and it's through this illumination that comes with the prayer. Besides the fact that you're going to be spiritually damaged by these things if you don't have watchfulness. So that goes without saying. So it's really imperative that we are repeating the prayer throughout the day, traveling, we're waiting, we're working. We can utilize the time all the time saying the prayer. All right, that's basically some few words on the first stages or rather the first for the beginner on how to understand what is necessary, uh, the basics of saying the prayer and and how to approach it. Uh, he doesn't talk about a prayer rule in that section, but I think it would be appropriate to talk again for all of those newcomers what a prayer rule looks like. And if you don't have a spiritual father and you're not you're not ready to go deeper, what do you do? Well, you can certainly start saying the prayer with a prayer rope every morning. When you get up, you say your, you know, you got your basic prayers, you say your Jesus prayer 300, 100 at least, if not 600, 200, what depending on your time, 300 times to Christ, 100 times to the mother of God. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy in me. Most holy Theotoko, save us. And you can do that pretty easily, even with a 33, right? Even with this little prayer rope, the 33 prayer rope, which everybody can find put all over the place in the Orthodox Church. 33. Do this three times three to Christ. So that's three, six, nine times to Christ, and then three times to the Most Holy Theotokos, save us, Most Holy Theotokos, save us, Most Holy Mother of God, save us. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, right? That's really not hard. Everybody can do that. It's a basic beginner. You do that every day, every morning, with compunction, contrition, and, 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 and standing before the icons, and with love of Christ, and according to what we're talking about here, along with all the other spiritual struggle, that, if it's done with love and compunction, will be a great, great aid. And then over time, when you get a spiritual father, you grow that. And, and in, the, in the monasteries and on Athos and other places, and in, in the, the spiritual fathers who have experience, there are spiritual children in the world, married people, who are, who are also making tremendous progress and adding and adding more and more. Now, the numbers don't matter, but they do actually matter in some way, right? Otherwise, why would we add? Uh, so uh, it matters that we do it both qualitatively and eventually quantitatively. And the more we pray, the better it is. Uh, so, but everybody can start with 300 and 100. And usually a spiritual father would tell you to do some prostrations. And the prostrations are going to be in front of the icons of Christ, the mother of God. And you're going to do uh, with every prostration, Lord Jesus Christ. And you stand up, have mercy in me. And you're going to want to have your head Hit the ground, right? That's a full prostration. Your body's going to go like that, and then that, and then that, right? That's how it's going to go. Talk, talk. And unless you have some kind of problems with your health, if you have, you know, I don't know, some people have real issues with their their knees, obviously you're not going to do the prostrations if you're going to destroy your knees. That's not That would not be blessed. But if you are in good health and otherwise you don't have a problem with making prostrations, 
do prostration. Now, how many should you do? It depends on your health, it depends on your weight, I guess, and how, I don't know, various things. You have to determine that. But but I would say, you know, a dozen, two dozen, three dozen, I don't know. It depends on each person and their ability physically. It's a physical question, I, and I can't tell you. But th there's, that's very few in the grand scheme of things. If you can do 10, you do 20, that's about, what, a minute or two? If you do them quickly, three minutes, five minutes, the most – uh, so this is all doable. You don't need a you have great, you know, illumined elder and athos to do that. You can start doing that. Now, the more you do and you start incorporating other practices, yes, you need a spiritual father. But that certainly does not need a spiritual father. Yeah, David, you should be praying. Why not? Say the prayer, right? As I'm talking. All right. I think that's great. Is that also with prostration or just staying? Okay, so I answered that, I think, Anastasia. All right, so let's go to the method, talking about, a little bit about the method. A few questions we're going to answer again because they're really good questions. But one of the questions people have is, you know, okay, fine, Father, we got all these elders in our day teaching us Jesus' prayer, but where is, how, can you see this throughout church history? Can you see it in the scriptures? I'm not going to talk about this much because I think everybody here knows that it's all over the place. And in scripture, it's obvious right there. There are many references Jesus, Master, have mercy in me, the blind man and the ten lepers. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy in me, etc. The Lord have mercy, which is all over the scriptures, is the basic Jesus prayer. It's the same thing, just a little bit more developed. And you see, for instance, in the fourth century with St. Macarios, listen to what he says, St. Macarios uh, in the Yerondicon. In the Yerondicon, he's recorded as saying, St. Macarius of, uh, of, uh, of Egypt, one of the great ascetics. He says, there were some who asked Ava Makario, saying, how should we pray? And the elders said to them, there is no need for verbosity, only extending one's arms and saying, Lord, as you desire and as you know, have mercy. If the spiritual war is imminent, Lord, help me. And he knows what is beneficial and he will be merciful. So basically, the elder is saying right there, the short prayer that has everything in it, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Uh, St. John the Latter, one of the greatest ascetics and teachers of the, of the entire history of the church, he lived around the beginning of the 7th century, around 600, 640, he reposed. And he says in his writings, just in case anybody doubted, let the remembrance of Jesus be joined to your breath, and then you shall learn the benefit of Isikia in Greek, which is stillness. They translate it here wrongly as quietude. I don't like that phrase because there's a Western accusation against the Hesychist as being uh, uh, um, heretics because they have the heresy of, of uh, I think it was quietness or quietudeness or something like that. That's not what it is. It's not just being quiet. It's not the absence of sound, right? Stillness is a deep spiritual reality. It's what's talked about in the Old Testament where the still small voice of God visited the prophet, right? The still small voice, that stillness that uh, that God brings, that peace and serenity and within, that's what he's talking about. So the benefit of stillness, both externally and internally, which comes with the Jesus prayer on your breath uh, throughout the day. And then he goes on elsewhere, by the name of Jesus, thrash all your oppressors. For there is no mightier weapon in heaven and earth than the name of Jesus. And your enemies, by the way, now this is really important. Pay attention. Do, are you taking your notes? If you're not saying the Jesus prayer, you should be taking notes. He says, 
Your enemies are yourself, the demons, and the world. Did you think your enemies were just outside? No, you're the worst enemy. I'm my worst enemy. Believe me, if you live a spiritual life, you know that that's true. The worst enemy is always within. And that goes with the church. The worst enemies are the ones in that become heretics. And that goes with us personally, individually. We're our own worst enemy. Why? Our slothfulness, our laziness, our pride, our arrogance, our mindfulness, our mindlessness, rather. Right? We're the ones that are inhibiting and blocking the progress, the spiritual ascent. So attack your enemies, he says. Thrash all your oppressors. Who's the first, the first worst oppressor is ourself. We oppress ourselves with our passions and our pride and our arrogance, right? So some people say, well, that um, this whole the Jesus prayer, um, it's not really, it's kind of a development. Right? Is that right? Shouldn't we do what they did in the, in the the early church and the in the scriptures. And this is this is a the product this is a kind of a Protestant school of thought. Like when you get back to the first century, anything for third century is uh, an innovation, fourth century it's a distortion. No, it's not true. There's nothing new in the, the gospel is given once and for all, is once delivered, but the life of the church without departing from that those that essence and that reality it develops in a in sense of adding more experiences to that right and we get and and words to that and prayers to that and and all the rest there's nothing wrong with that it's not a development of doctrine it's not a development of, of what we believe but certainly the life of the church has come down to us and we should accept whatever's come down to us this idea of we're going to go back and find something pristine is a delusion Right. The, what God gave us right now for our generation in our saints and in the liturgy today, that's what we need to embrace. That's what God has given us. And it's the it's the it's perfect for what we need in every generation. So and it's a fruit of so much holiness throughout 2000 years of of the history of the church. So um, that that's something that, you know, we want to combat because some people undermine their trust in what's coming down to us through the elders and the prayer as it's come down to us by trying to second guess it all. But I like what the elder says here. Whatever has been polished, uh, whatever has been in, uh, our church has put to use or has in use has been polished to perfection, which is why we shouldn't be so concerned about how it evolved to this day as the benefit of this detail is minimal. Instead, above and beyond everything, let's preoccupy ourselves on how to better utilize it more correctly in a more God-pleasing manner for our own spiritual, personal benefit and how we should respect it in the appropriate manner. So very, very important. See the stance of the obedient disciple, the one who's going to make progress. That's the stance, right? He's not, not second-guessing. I'm going to go back. I was listening to, I think it was uh, a little, just a little clip of uh, somebody, it was Jay Dyer or somebody or talking to somebody, they, the, the 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 confused Protestant, whoever it was online, he was like, yeah, but what about that? What about that? What about this in the first century? What about this in the fourth century? And the, the poor man is just cannot trust, cannot trust. And it's, it totally undermines his spiritual life. And it's a tragedy. And that's what heterodoxy, the chaos of heterodoxy creates. Nobody can trust anybody. It's all chaos. What a tragedy. So 
question of discerning our thoughts and what our thoughts are, if they originate with the enemy or if they originate with ourselves, and how can we discern this? And the elder Arsenio says, this is the this is best taken to a spiritual father. This is best taken to a discerning uh, elder. But even beyond the question of what the elder is going to tell you and if he's, you know, how experienced he is, that disposition uh, of humility, I'm going to take this to a guide. That alone, he says, and I've, I've said this many times to many people, and I think it's so important for us today because we don't have a lot of spiritual guides and experienced spiritual guides. And listen to this now. He says, even that alone, that stance alone moves God. Of course, provided the disposition, the predisposition of ours is totally an honest one. So if we're honestly seeking to do his will and not going with agenda, not going with, you know, this cunning and deception, trying to get something, you know, get the, get the blessing from the elder for what we want to do, right? If we're going there to whoever it is and we're, we have humility, that alone will move God to, to enlighten on the one hand, but even if that's not possible because there's no synergy with that priest, protecting and, and, and guiding the humble one. So when God sees this good disposition of ours as humility, God will enlighten us and lead us onto the proper spiritual path. And so this is why uh, it's very important in the spiritual life. And when you begin the prayer to take your thoughts to a spiritual guide and ask, what do I do with these thoughts? What do I do with these things? You're going to have tons of them. They're going to be coming. And the, and the problem is a lot of the good ones, the good thoughts are the enemy. Because you don't want to think anything during the prayer. You don't want to talk, oh, I got to do that. I got to do that. We do this all the time. I'm the first. I'm the worst. I'm the most guilty. I allow myself to think about, well, what, what, this, that, because it's all good. It's all good, but it's all ultimately, as we'll see, not from God. God doesn't send those things in the middle of our prayer. This is one of the delusions we have. We, oh, that's from God. I go, well, it, it's probably true. It's, it's good. It's not bad. You're, if you go write it down or go do something about it, it'll be good, but it'll be taking you away from something better. It'll be taking you away from something higher. And that's an unfortunate event. All right, I'm going to skip that because that's another day, another time. Um, all right, let's get into now the subject of the method and the and the later stages. We're going to talk about a little bit more, another half an hour max, and then we're going to open up the questions. All right, so get your questions. Are you asking questions? I see seven questions so far. If you got questions, don't put them in the chat because I don't see them usually. Put them in the question box. Here on Patreon, I wish uh, the folks over at Orthodox Heathers don't have that luxury. They can send it into our Patreon page. By the way, have we, Justin, have we shared the link for our Telegram Patreon channel to our folks over at Orthodox Ethos? We need to do that. All of our Orthodox Ethos subscribers need to have the link to be able to get into our Telegram channel our, for our patrons. That means both Orthodox Ethos and Patreon. And so that's on our to-do list there so people can join there and then they can submit their questions over there and not miss out. All right. For all of us who are undoubtedly beginners, it requires strict perseverance and steadfast struggle, painful, tough, ruthless struggle. The whole struggle mainly lies in this. Okay, note takers, get your pen, get ready. Focusing our noose, our, our spiritual intellect, let's say, on the meanings of the words that we utter. 
Our whole struggle, I repeat, mainly, mainly, not all, but mainly lies in focusing our noose, our intellect, our, not our, not just our rational intellect, but our spirit and our inner heart, right? On the meaning of the words that we utter. In other words, we need to pay attention and mean what we are saying, all right? So it's not like, Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, that's not only not good, it's bad. Like you're not properly honoring the name of Jesus. You want to do that? Do you want to be dishonoring the name of Jesus? Be careful. Don't just go blah, blah, blah. I say this to my youngest children. We're, we're doing the Jesus prayer, like sometimes instead of compline. And, you know, little kids, and well, they're just, and I say, you got to say it with your heart. Say to my little daughter, you got to say it with your heart. Don't just do it. Don't just repeat the words. Say, I don't know how to say it with my heart. And I say, you know. So when you go and you want something really bad, right? You want to go skating and you want to go this. You're saying that with your heart. You really want to go swimming. You really want to go skating or whatever it is that you love doing, right? That's how you see the, say the Jesus person. I don't know how to do that. Say, well, you got to pray, ask God. God, help me to say it with my heart. Right? What do you what do you love? What do you love? Do you love Christ? Do you really love Christ? Do we really love Christ? Where do we spend our time and our energy, our thoughts? Where do we invest those? That's what we love. We also have this problem with our intellect. <clears throat> And when we say something should be correct, we mean it should always be with prudence, the virtue of prudence. And prudence is going to lead us to understand that every thought is an obstacle to the prayer. During the time of prayer, we must not adopt any thought whatsoever. Not adopt any thought whatsoever. This is hard to do. Proud men like myself, we don't make progress because we can't do that. We like our thoughts. Yes, we like our thoughts. We really love thoughts. Good ones, of course. We're not doing bad thoughts. Bad thoughts we don't want. We like our good thoughts. We like them more than the name of Jesus. That's the problem. Not only harmful thoughts, not only those useless ones, but even the most beneficial ones, he says. The word beneficial is in quotation marks because in the long run, during the time of prayer, they are anything but beneficial. (laughs) They're not beneficial. We call them beneficial thoughts, but they're not ultimately. It is only a slide trap by the devil because what is most beneficial during the prayer is to pay attention. Without images, we are trained, brothers and sisters, from children with images day and night. We, and people today, they don't even want to read anymore. They want only images. They want video to teach them everything. That is a terrible thing if you want to get free of images and, and focus on prayer. And so contrary to this idea among certain Orthodox that we should cultivate the imagination, wrong. Not a good idea. You say, well, that's a different... Yes, but... Tolkien and Lewis and all this stuff, we cultivate the imagination. We're going to learn, I don't know what, Christian life through uh, the various stories told about. That's not a good idea. Now you say, well, okay, katikonomia, whatever, children. 
But ultimately, that's not really that it should be a minor thing. Do not cultivate the imagination in the Orthodox Christian world. The saints don't do that. The opposite, right? They want to live in reality. They don't want to live in an imaginary world. They want to live face to face with Christ. The life of Moses was the one that St. Gregory Nisa wrote. He didn't write the life of Plato. So we want face-to-face -face with Christ. It is only a sly trap by the devil, again, because what is most beneficial during the prayer is to pay attention. We shouldn't focus our mind anywhere, not on churches, not on monasteries, not on pilgrimages, not on elders, not on words of elders, not on radiant faces, not on saints, not on icons, not on the various conversations that we've had with enlightened people and had become enchanted and had been helped by them all the good things, don't focus on them during prayer. None of these things is necessary and beneficial or gives us strength and enlightens us in our personal struggles, provided we think about them at other times and moments. However, to put them all aside, these things could be beneficial when we at other times, but we put them all aside and it's very painful during prayer. It's extremely painful at first to put all these things aside. Because we and our mind have both been overindulgent. And he's saying this is one who grew up in Greece without a television. Back, I mean, they had one television in the house probably, but like five channels back in the 70s and 80s. My husband Theata grew up in, the, of course, the 70s. She was born 70. And so 70s, 80s, they basically had one television, a few channels. Like nothing like what Americans had, right? And they, but that's all gone. That's all dead. It's, they, they still don't have all this insanity in America, but it's... Yeah. And he's still saying, look, we've been overindulgent. What would he say about the average American kid today and all of us who are constantly before a screen? What would he say? Listen to what Elder Joseph of, of, of Vatopedi says. He says, only be careful. He's talking about the uh, prayer and how to say the prayer. Only be careful when saying the prayer to not concede to imaginings or imagination, because the divine is kindless, kindless. What are what it is in Greek, kind in this context? I don't know, but it's not a very good translation. Uh, formless is what I think he wants to say. That is, it doesn't have any kind, doesn't have any form. It cannot be imagined. It cannot be colored. It can. It is beyond perfect. It cannot comply with human contemplations. It acts like a subtle breath within our intellect. All right, that's how the prayer is. And they all, and Father Senior says it acts like a subtle breath. It is not actually a subtle breath. It is not a subtle breath. But because the divine cannot be described, we say it's like a subtle breath, like you know, the still small voice that came. To, it's it's a way to describe that which is indescribable. Let's not fool ourselves. It is, after all, obvious that a lot of effort is required, not just one day's worth. We unfortunately seek to achieve the prayer in one evening. A lifetime of effort is required. A lifetime of effort is required to acquire the prayer. Because especially during the time of prayer, the devil fights us with a particular vengeance, method, and mania, mania. We are attacked with lewd, horrific, and bizarre thoughts of all kinds and from all directions. We are attacked by negligence. Very many suppressed and forgotten things rise to the surface. We are confronted by an untimely anger, which sometimes is a very intense one, both during prayer and after it. A lifetime of effort, right? 
very many suppressed and forgotten things rise to the surface. We are confronted by an untimely anger, which sometimes is a very intense one, both during prayer and after it. Various pending chores and obligations come to mind. Oh, this is the most common, right? You're starting out the day, you're trying to say the prayer, but you got all these things ahead of you. Oh, I got. Oh, I forgot to tell so-and-so that. I didn't write so-and-so. Oh, I got to get back to so-and-so. Oh, I forgot that two o'clock I got to be there. Oh my gosh, this is so common, right? Various pending chores and obligations come to mind. Don't forget this, don't forget that, right? All of these things are exaggerated by the cunning one, the oponiros is Greek, which means the evil one, as well as by our own inexperience. He exaggerates them to an extreme degree so that although while in prayer, we tell ourselves to not forget this or that. <laughs> when we finish praying, we remember nothing of these things that had overwhelmed us and account of our inexperience had considered them absolutely necessary to tackle and to deal with. I can't tell you how true this is. After the prayer, you're like, what did I, what was that? That was so important. I don't even remember what it was. And yet I stopped my prayer and went and I wrote that note or I, um, so the enemy overwhelms us with all sorts of supposedly compulsory cares in one word. He pummels us from every possible direction ruthlessly by naturally exploiting our own inexperience. This is why, among other things, it is more beneficial to repeat the prayer in a whisper. All right. So why are we saying in the whisper? Because what happens is your mind wanders, but at least you're still hearing the prayer. Your ears are still hearing the prayer. Your mouth is still saying the prayer. That'll bring you back quickly, more quickly than if you're doing it in the in the mind right we're talking about beginners here otherwise when a spiritual novice does not whisper the prayer the mind wanders off and who knows after how long god will illumine him and he will eventually understand that he needs to resume the prayer that he had begun to recite i have had experiences over the years where because i was trying to say the prayer without the whisper i got lost in the thoughts and i don't know how long i was i was in that world I mean, I, I felt like forever. When I came back, I was dizzy. I was like, wow, where was I? And I'm not talking about I was lost in prayer. I was lost in my thoughts. And I had no clue how much time passed. So <laughs> I can tell you by experience, if you're a beginner, you need to have the whisper, right? Of course, we need to clarify at this point that thoughts per se are never a sin. Like just because thoughts come, they're not, it's not a sin. Don't say, I had a thought about what to do at 33 o'clock. That's a sin in and of itself. You don't go confession for that, right? The sin is not having the thought. The sin is taking it and running with it and paying attention to it and then stopping the prayer. That's the problem, right? When we don't accept them, when we don't not disturb by them, when we don't add to them, then there's no sin, right? When we don't resist, we have spiritual profit. We get wiser in our struggles. We learn how to discern the thoughts. So the thoughts will come. There's no doubt about it. The thoughts will come. The question is, what will our stance be? So there are temptations that can promote us spiritually. That's why they're allowed. The saints would say, no temptations. God has abandoned us. It's a part of the life in Christ. We're going to have them every day. We're going to have something, many things, perhaps. And that's okay. That's good, actually, because that's not a problem. The problem is how do we respond? That's the problem if we don't respond in a way that's pleasing to God and according to his will. So the more one struggles, the more powerful his enemies become. 
and when when they spring up on the spiritual front. So we're going to have them. The question is how we're going to deal with them. The enemy in, in the, implements this intervention with thoughts in order to make us despair and completely abandon the prayer. Not only because we supposedly don't benefit by it, but also because we sin even more during praying in as much as we are preoccupied with thoughts that are so ugly, so weird, so unacceptable that we hadn't even considered them before beginning to pray. So this, the, the enemy brings the thoughts. He sees that you're trying to be a warrior. He sees that you're, you're going to battle. You're on the battlefield. He sees that. He says, this person is coming to attack me. He wants to be free of the passions. He wants to be free of my power. I'm going to take and war against him. And the only way the enemy can war against you is in your thoughts. And he wants you to say yes to his suggestions. That's the entire noetic struggle here we're talking about. So you have to learn how to say no, no, no. And it, the prayer, just drown out those thoughts and you just drown them out. And like, oh, I, there were thoughts. I didn't really notice it. That's where we're going to get, right? So it is a part of the struggle that you're going to fall into these thoughts. You're going to go into this midair. You're going to be wandering. That's okay. Get back. Bring it back. Bring it back again and again and again and again and again, right? This, establish the habit. What is a virtue? It's basically habit. It's basically that you're going again and again. The prayer, why is it said again and again and again hundreds and thousands of times? And it's not vain repetition that the Protestants talk about because that's training you in virtue. Repetition is the mother of learning, right? And it's training you in virtue, training you in uh, mindfulness, watchfulness. Ryan says, getting itchy or rubbing body parts out of nowhere happens a lot with flashbacks to old sins. Okay. Meredith is saying the path is narrow. It is narrow. That's right. The Lord said it's narrow. Yeah, these are all temptations, Ryan. We just need to endure. The Lord loves a struggler. The Lord loves a warrior. The Lord loves someone who's doing violence no matter what. That is, a, is has a good disposition to struggle. He'll send that person grace. Himself, in other words. What does it mean to undergo assaults by the enemy and that there is warfare? It is because we are fighting the enemy and the enemy is retaliating. Of course. That alone should encourage us. So you you got warfare. You got enemy. You got problems. Take courage. That's a good sign. He's actually dealing with you. It means you're doing something right. It means you're doing something right. That alone should encourage us to pray and continue the prayer, even with more perseverance, more attention, more hope, and more divine consolation. What is required is willingness and patience. St. John Chrysostom says the following. Listen to this. St. John Chrysostom, everybody pay attention. My good man, if you yourself don't listen to your prayer... Right, because this whole struggle is to listen, pay attention to the words. Right, if you yourself don't listen to your prayer and you don't pay attention to your own words, how can you demand, and with what naivete and audacity, that God Himself listen to you? <laughs> That's so John Saint John Chrysostom, isn't it? Like, who? What exactly? Who are you exactly? You're sitting here. You don't even pay attention to your own words. Your mind is rambling. You're, you're firing off all these things, demands, and uh, and you and you expect God to listen to you. You don't even listen to yourself. You're not even paying attention to your own self because you're wandering in your brain. Oh, my goodness. Your mind, your heart. So the struggle is imperative, and gradually, gradually, quality will come from quantity. So one of the reasons quantity is important because it's going to bring quality, not for its own sake. I do 3,000 every night. doesn't matter. Like, who cares? Like, who are you? So what? 
How do you do those 3,000? The fact that you're boasting about it means you don't even haven't begun to pray, right? So numbers is not important, but numbers do help oftentimes establish us. It shows our desire. It shows our, you know, it can show our determination. All right. So we've already talked about that, that how much it is important to feel the prayer and uh, that he, he says, go, goes on and on about how that the quantity can bring quality. Uh, we will gradually be able to say the prayer more easily and noetically with more ease. The more we say it, the easier to get it to stay to say it inside us within our intellect. Right. We have to repeat it many, many, many times. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, is what he says is preferred, as we said earlier. And, you know, some people say, well, I, uh, somebody said, can we see the Lord's Prayer? I think Mary, we, are you here tonight? Mary said, we, can we see the Lord's Prayer again and again? The thing about the Lord's Prayer is it's, it's, quite a, it's quite much longer, right? And so what happens is those longer prayers are harder to assimilate as the shorter prayer. And, and that's why the, the fathers want the short prayer, the short prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And it's got all the, the, the whole gospel right in there, right? The Lord, Jesus, the Savior, Lord, the King, the God, Jesus, the Savior, uh, Christ, the Anointed One, right? So you have the God and man, the God man, have mercy on me. Everything, mercy is the entire entirety of his love and his economy of salvation. That's the mercy of God to save us. So right there you have everything you need. His divinity, our fallenness, and our need for a savior, and us calling upon the savior to save us. If we persevere even more, without wearying or getting bored or giving up, and persisting in the prayer at length each time, and at the same time apply all the instructions of the church, all the commandments, then in time, if God favors it, perhaps some might receive the gift of noetic prayer of the heart. This means that those who do receive it will be able to say the Jesus prayer thereafter with their heart, without any effort or pressure, without the slightest effort any longer on their part. It'll be said as if on its own in the heart. This is the fruit of and what the great saints achieve and the great elders and the great ascetics achieve is they have this constant presence of God. It's a mystery, right? It's a mystery. Really important that we don't pick and choose what we want to do, pick and choose what we want to focus on. We don't stand in, in judgment of what's been taught and passed down to us, but we enter in and we submit. That's That stance of, well, I'll do this, I'll do that. I like this. I think I'm going to do the rosary. I think I'll do this. I'll do that. That whole stance when you're judging and you're not coming under and, and submitting yourself, that's Protestantism, essentially. That's the that's spirit of the, of the world, and it will throw us off. It will not bring about spiritual benefit. We should definitely observe complete obedience in everything that the church commands us. So one of the things the elder says here, uh, Father Arsenio says, say, he says that my role here is not to really teach you the prayer because the prayer teaches, teaches you. And your spiritual father guides you. So doing the prayer, God, and in through the prayer teaches you and spiritual father guides you in that. But it's to give you an incentive for prayer. It's to inspire you to pray. It's to give you the basics to begin to pray. And correspondingly, he says, and analogously, even the, the word of the gospel, as strange as what 
as it may seem, he says, is not per se the revelation of God, right? So he's talking here about, he says here that the gospel itself is not per se the revelation of God as we may perhaps believe and imagine. You know, the Protestants, there's Protestants who believe that the actual scriptural text or the the message is revelation, right? Then what is it, he says? Well, the gospel is the word that tells us about God's revelation. So the gospel book is what tells us about God's revelation. It's not revelation itself. Revelation is a personal matter for each person. It's its own personal Pentecost. Everyone has revelation of Jesus Christ to the particular person. And that happened in the scriptures recorded. The revelation is recorded. It's not the same thing as the revelation. Like you're not, the revelation of Jesus Christ is not the written text, but what was revealed and that the event that happened to the apostles and to the apostle John and all the rest, right? So to be more clear, he says the following example. For example, when Christ in the gospel says, I am the light of the world, I am the light of the world. An entirely uninitiated person perceives this in one way. A wavering believer perceives it in another way. The lukewarm believer in another way. A conscientious believer, a struggler in another way. And in another way, the saints like Singer and Palamas or Saint Simeon, New Theologian. So we have one statement, one revelation. What is Christ? Who is Christ? He is the light of the world. Depending on who you are, where you are, what you are, your stance, you're going to understand that differently. So let's take another example. The university professor. He's trying to explain to you why you can't teach it, but you have to inspire. It's the only thing you can do is inspire because you have to have the experience yourself. So university professor, right? And he's... In all, in all way, in all things, he's Orthodox. He's an Orthodox professor of theology, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he reads excerpts from Saint Simeon, new theologian, who was describing his his indescribable divine love, and he could not understand the words of the saint. He could not understand. He attributed to them personal psychological phenomena in Saint Simeon, Saint Simeon, new theologian. That is, the saint's experiences were supposedly attributed to his idiosyncrasy. To his personal psychosynthesis, as we could say. So he's actually attributing that which was divinely revealed and God gave to him. He's putting it and he's making it into something purely human. And and Father Osana says, what a horrible thing. This university professor who is in all other ways knowledgeable, a teacher, right? To think that the professor was thoroughly praiseworthy in other matters, that is, he had every good intention with otherwise impressive range of works. If that professor were to read the part, this following from Abba Isaac, Isaac St. Isaac the Syrian, what would he say? Saint Isaac, listen to what St. Isaac the Syrian says. While in prayer, man is in control of his words, whereas when he has been swept up into a sighting of God, in other words, is that a vision of God, a theoria, as we say in Greek, a sighting of the divine light, then all the words and verses of prayers cease. When you actually have communion, revelation, face-to-face, words cease, the prayer ceases, everything ceases. Man ceases to pray entirely when he comes face-to-face and, 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 and as a theory of God. And not only is he not in control of the words of the prayer, but man's very being is swept away exclusively to where and for a long time as the divine light leads him. It is precisely this, beyond the mind, ineffable sight of God, 
that surmounts every other prayer. Because it is only in this state that the struggler, to his amazement, is able to see, quote-unquote, the truly unobservable one. Right? He sees that which is invisible, which is not possible to see, but he sees it spiritually. It is then that he can, can invisibly see, quote-unquote, the truly invisible God. So what would that professor say to that when he can't, he can't accept St. Simeon's description of the indescribable divine love that he was feeling? Uh, so this is to drive home the intensely personal nature of all these things and the need for one to have experience. All right, we're almost done. One more little page or so, and then we're done. And then we'll open up the questions. So if you have questions, you want to put them up there or send them in. So once upon a time, there was a time that Elder Paisios was told of a certain speaker who had spoken very beautifully about the divine light. This is give you an example of how people can talk about, including my, you know, I'm, I'm a novice compared to all of the things we're talking about here, right? I, I'm a beginner. So this applies to many of us, myself included, that we are just babes before all of the teachings of the saints and the lives of the saints. And there was a man who divided, described the divine light, about how beautiful it was, how beautiful the speaker had spoken of it, and people were impressed. And, and the elder said the following, yes, the speaker described it beautifully, undoubtedly, yes, except that he spoke of things that he himself was not familiar with through experience. So the one at the same time, he said, yeah, he described it beautifully, but he didn't have any experience of it. Because I Saint Saint Paisius had experience, and he knew that the man did not have experience of it. You see how these things are a mystery in God, and one has to have experience of it to really understand it. And they're they're not words cannot be uttered to, to ultimately to unpack them because they're beyond all of these things we have mentioned. If not to emulate the saints, which we should with discernment, should firstly be so that we humble ourselves deep down and not imagine that we are something special or that we have reached a certain spiritual height, and so that we don't cultivate personal self-delusions that lead us away from the path of our salvation. I think we just were saying that, weren't we? Because that is why Christ came to earth, to make us partakers here and now of his divine grace. Christ didn't come to merely make us better people externally, pietistically. So on the one hand, humble ourselves. On the other hand, take courage, because Christ wants us to have that experience. Both both and in that blessed state of uh, of the noetic prayer, the heart on its own inexplicably and inscrutably repeats the prayer everywhere and continually, regardless whether a person is performing manual labors or even a certain intellectual labor. Oh, see, even in intellectual labor, the heart still goes, still prays. For example, regardless if one is walking, talking, or even sleeping or working or tackling a mathematical problem or whatever labor requires our our focused attention in that person who has the noetic prayer firmly established and embedded in his heart, he is able, in parallel to whatever other labors he is preoccupied with, to repeat the Jesus prayer and always in an inexplicable manner, as stressed earlier. So he's saying ultimately the goal and what's given to those who struggle in love and are patient, it's a lifelong, he says, a lifelong thing is that the prayer is in the heart and it's going no matter what we're doing up here and with our hands and all the rest, right? It's going continuously. That's what St. Paul means when he says pray unceasingly. 